This is a financial promotion. If you decide to invest, please remember that investment involves risk. Investments can go up and down in value, so you can get back less than what you put in. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance and may not be repeated. Hello everyone and welcome to the Ravenswap podcast. I'm here today with Bob Tannehill from our investment management team and we're here today to talk about how we go about spotting good investment opportunities, uh, be that managers or funds. And Bob has recently written an article on this. So why don't you start by telling us in a nutshell what this article was about, Bob? Okay, yeah, thanks, Sam. And hi, everyone. Um, the article really is about the tendency that we all have just as sort of humans when we're looking at an investment or a fund to really focus on performance, past performance, and particularly short-term past performance. And while this is you know, a really, really natural human sort of behavior and tendency, the problem is, is that there's a pretty poor link really between past performance and that's doubly so for short-term past performance and what we really want which is future performance and we're pretty sort of passionate about this subject and and it's something that we all face you know whether we are you know professionals building portfolios on behalf of clients or whether we're investing our own money and choosing a manager to to trust to do that you know it is a challenge we all face and so we just thought it might be interesting to share what we think is sort of a better way of doing this and hope it gives people bit of a, a tool, an extra sort of thing to think about next time they're faced with this decision to make. And, and what led you to write this article? Well, it's a, it is a bit of a funny story. Um, we were talking to a colleague in another office and we were chatting about how we, how we pick funds. Um, and we were talking to them about the process we go through and the things we look for. And we've been doing this for, for quite a long time, well over 10 years. Um, and over that time, we've built up sort of elements of this process, such as the, the sort of the document templates we use when we're doing the initial kind of deep dive due diligence. And we have now what we call our FRDs, our fund research documents. And so we sent, uh, we sent this chap uh, the templates. And, and I'm going to admit now, they, are, they got pretty lengthy over the years. They could probably do with, with compressing a little bit. Um, and I'm not sure what response we expected when we sent this. But what we got was, a quite a, I thought, quite a witty one-liner, which is just, why on earth do I want to know what a manager's favourite colour is? And um, I thought that was, A, quite funny, um, but B, also quite a good question, really. You know, why are we sort of obsessed about, you know, how they pick stocks, how they look at the world, how they build the portfolio? And, um, you know, it's surely that's their job. And, and this sort of, I started tapping out the, the reply to this question. And then it sort of hit me that this is probably worth sharing more broadly, which is, yeah, how the article came about. And let's start with uh, what's wrong with past performance as an indicator then? Why are we so against just solely relying on that and and, and yeah, what do we do instead? Yeah, no problem. Um, I mean, I think that the trouble really with past performance is the amount of chance involved. You know, it's something which you don't sort of often talk about in markets, but there's so many moving parts when it comes to investment that, you know, from currencies to sector dynamics to politics to trends, there's so many moving parts that the outcome you achieve is this combination of, of sort of the, 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 the good decisions you've made or bad decisions you've made, plus just all the things flying around in, in the air. And this is doubly true in the short term. And so the outcomes you achieve are quite heavily influenced by chance. Um, you know, take a you know take a contrived example, but you know, imagine you and I were sat down in 2019 looking at you know uh, restaurant chain companies, 
and we, we'd done loads and loads of work and we'd found like a genuinely found a brilliant company which had some really unusual business model and was poised to do really great things and we would bought the stock and we were very pleased with ourselves um, and then 2020 comes along global pandemic hospitality industry globally shut down you know that stock price would have done terribly in the short right. term but it would have had almost nothing to do with the work we'd done you know let's assume we'd done a really good job there and we'd picked a great company we just got really unlucky in the short term now in the long run you'd hope that quality would come through and the performance would recover um, and that just try, tries to illustrate really the challenge you face as investors in the short run you can be buffeted by all kinds of, of, of chance factors and and in the very short term chance can be the dominant factor but actually as time goes by for every t- chance being random for every time you get lucky you get unlucky and eventually the, the noise averages out and it becomes about the quality of your assets the skill of the selection and, and it's that performance then is is very much an outcome of of the, yeah. of the process it's not yeah absolutely exactly it's the outcome but it's an outcome which in the short term is a mix of skill and luck in the long term is more skill skill based and so what we want as long-term investors is the skill bit but if you try and judge skill based on short-term past performance it's a very rough and ready guide it's not a good assessment of the underlying skill of the fund manager in this example um and so that that's for us is why you know it's really we need something better because there's a there's an example in the article about you know trying to work out how long you would need how much data you would need in order to um, uh, assess skill based on past performance alone and in the example we give we do the maths and you end up with something like 11 years of data and yeah you, and we, we all know there's not that many <laughs> fund managers with 11 years worth of track no record maybe Buffett but yeah. uh, you know <laughs> there's not that many of them no Okay, and then if we're not using performance, then how do we go about sort of assessing what makes a good manager or a good fund? Well, I, I think if you um, if you look at other fields that have to deal with these kind of noisy outcomes, there are a, com- a couple of common features that come out. They tend to focus on inputs rather than outputs and using the inputs as predictors. Um, and I won't go too far into sport because it's not my specialist <laughs> subject, but you know, the analogy we've mine. used is, is you know, football shots on goal. You know, if you've got a team which has got a great uh, team ethos and that they're really good, they work together really well and they're reliably putting shots on target, then actually if they have a game or two where they just happen not to convert those, you can probably be fairly confident that in time their luck will change. Whereas if you, someone says to you, oh, Team A beat Team B 5-0 last night, right. it doesn't necessarily tell you much about how Team A will do in the next game. Yeah, I, I guess it's that the goal, the goalie in this scenario is the, is the chance. It's the part that you can't control. Yeah. So it's, it's your Wind luck. Wind or somebody yeah, well, yeah. shining a laser from the crowd at the wrong moment. You know, all these factors that you, as you say, you can't control and are always going to be there. But actually, eventually, if you're, if you're putting the ball in the right direction... At some point, you the luck changes and it's on your side, or yeah, and just averages out eventually. So, so how then do we do that in practice? How then do we assess this process? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. For for managers, it is about process. You know, that is that that is the input we're looking to assess. If you've got a manager who's got a really high quality structured process, which is picking good assets in a repeatable way, that is the input that we're looking for. And the way we try and assess this in practice is we have a kind of three-stage process. First, 
we deep dive into the process to understand how a manager does it. That's why we're digging into, as, uh, as our colleague said, favourite colours and, and filling in these vast forms because we're really trying to get under the skin of how it operates. Then we sort of fact check this by um, looking back at the, what they've done in the past. So, you know, generally you're looking at managers who've got past performance that's solid and, 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 and good quality. And you're saying, does that good historic outcome, like, is that what we'd expect given the process we've been presented with? And if you do, if you're saying, actually, it does look like that repeatable process delivered those good outcomes in the past, that's when you can start saying, okay, I can start having some confidence that maybe that can be repeated in the future. Although we know chance will buffet them one way or the other, in the long run, these guys should be able to deliver for us. And then once they're in the portfolio, the third step is, is monitoring. Because as you go through time, changes of process, um, you know, is that that's a red flag for us because that's what we're relying on to deliver those outcomes. And so, you know, as I said, that's why we we digging into favourite colours and, you know, how often they go on holiday because that's, that's sort of the level of understanding we're trying to get to. And do you have any sort of examples maybe of uh, times that we've uncovered sort of a change in process from managers and we've, uh, you know, given them a red flag or exited positions as a result? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I won't name names to keep compliance happy, but... <laughs> um, the yeah, good example of when something's changed was uh, a few years ago we had an equity fund and they had, they had a big position in tobacco stocks. And tobacco stocks at the time, not so anymore, were doing really, really well. They were a bit of the market darlings. They'd been very cheap and, and the market had sort of changed its tune and gone, oh, there's loads of cash flow. We like these stocks now. And they'd done very, very well. The team had had a chunky position originally in them. But as the stocks had done very well, they'd let that position run up and up and up and up. And it had become, I think it was over 15% of their portfolio. And we were talking to them and saying, you know, oh, this is interesting. You know, how did you, you know, how have you got here? What's the rationale? Are you comfortable from a portfolio construction perspective? This is a sensible bet to be taking. Um, and they made very coherent answer explanations of why they were happy with it and why they liked it and why they were comfortable with a chunky, a chunky allocation in the portfolio. And, you know, we said to them, you know, because it was a big firm they worked for. How does the risk team feel about this? They're not going to come in and, and tell you what to do. And they said, no, 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 no. We've spoken to risk. They understand it's not a problem. We're all happy. Okay, so, you know, it's their job. So we asked the questions and we left them to it. Then what you saw is the market sentiment turned very rapidly against tobacco. And you saw a sharp decline in these stocks. And so the, the logical question is, well, you liked them at the old price. Now they're 25% cheaper you should like them more right you know if because nothing really had fundamentally changed in these stocks I and mean, there's always obviously regulation and, and sentiment around them I mean, they're, con they're not without their controversies um but nothing you know deeply fundamental abysmal had changed over this time and we went to see them and what happened they'd halved the position having having just dropped a lot and and this was driven ultimately because the risk team had weighed in and said oh the volatility's gone up the allocation now is too big where they were comfortable when it was going up they weren't comfortable on the way down right. and of course what they'd done is they'd, they'd had a big allocation at the top and had a smaller allocation at the bottom and this Which is just yeah, yeah inverse a, of what you want to see and yeah exactly and also they deviated from what they told us they would do they told us they would they had this process they were following it and the risks weren't going to get involved and then they, they changed that. And that for us was an instant red flag. Um, and while um, I wouldn't say that the fund has gone on to do terribly, actually, we went and replaced it with a fund that we had more confidence in, and it has gone on to do better. So, you know, it's, it's quite a nice example of where it, 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 it gave us the right flag and it therefore gave us the right outcome.
Yeah, I think it's interesting as well. It's in sort of stark contrast with another manager we have, wherever uh, stock falls 20% in their portfolio or more, they instantly review it and they either have to top up or they have to sell. Yeah, uh, which which is obviously much more aligned with sort of how we look at the world and um, yeah, I and those kind of discipline processes are exactly what you want to see because you know uh, that's a great example because if a stock falls, either you don't like it because something's changed or nothing's changed and you like it more because it's at a discount to where you were originally purchasing it. Yeah, and and it forces you to make a decision about it, and and it's those kind of things that we like to see in a process, and that's that's the tricky thing about assessing processes. It's not. You can you can spend a lot of time. I've spent, oh God, probably twelve years now doing this, and you you always learning more about the nuances. But it, but even with that in mind, I think uh, even for you know um, uh, somebody who's not in the industry who's just looking at for their own investments, it's definitely worth just listening and just getting someone to explain how they invest. What is their process? And just listen. Does it make sense to me? You know, you might not be an expert on the technical details, but actually, if they can't explain their process in a coherent way, that's a red flag that you don't need any technical knowledge to to spot. Right. Yeah, we were discussing it earlier, but I just think it's it's kind of key is this this Battenberg cake that we've talked about in the past where uh you've got you know you're right four for quadrants. the right reason yeah four quadrants so you're, you're either right for the right reasons or you're uh, right because you've been lucky or you're uh you, you were right but you are the bad outcome because you've been unlucky and it's like where do you sit within that and i think sort of identifying sort of good processes helps make sure that you are you know what you're doing is right and it's then just for the right reasons yeah 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 exactly and we we use that framework on internally on our own decisions because trade by trade we want to make sure that we're getting you say getting the outcome for the right reason and we're not being sort of lulled into a false sense of security by luck by luck or being being lulled into uh, pessimism about our, our decision because making. we've been unlucky in a, yeah. in a initial holding period or but something. you have to but you have to put the effort in to untangle it because markets are so noisy right that unless you you do put that effort in to really sort of tease apart skill and luck and there's a there's you a get great full signals don't you yeah exactly and that can lead to overconfidence underconfidence not learning i mean that's the worst thing is just not learning the right lessons and there's a great, there are a few great books out there. There's one linked in the article, actually, which just talks about this process trying to sort of tease apart luck and skill. And how, how is that, you know, sorry, we talked about the process. How's that work for, for us and, and our clients? Yeah, no, I'm pleased to say that when we've, you know, we've done an exercise to go back and crunch the numbers and, and it has been a positive. Um, so I'm conscious that the, the track record, it's not hard to go online and find stats about active fund managers and how poorly they've done in recent years. You, you know, you find numbers from, you know, one in three to one in 10 beating the benchmark. Um, we did an exercise where we took, we looked at all the funds that we've actively chosen to use over the last decade because that's sort of the time we've been running this process in its current form. And then we exclude those funds that we've bought very recently, and therefore there's not enough, there's not been time yet for the, the noise to average out, and took those seasoned funds and said, right, what portion have beaten the benchmark over, over the holding period we held them for? And the answer to that was 7 in 10. So we're really, really pleased with that, you know, well ahead of, of market average. And then when we took the winners and losers and said, right, well, who won and how much did they win by and who lost and how much did they lose by? And you aggregated the winners and losers together. Um, and while it's really hard to make these assessments, there's lots of assumptions. So take this number with a massive pinch of salt. But broadly speaking, we came out with an estimate that 
something in the region of 1% per annum had been added to client returns for by using active fund managers with this selection process right. versus using passive ETFs. So, you know, really, really pleased for, for two main reasons. One, it means we're adding value to clients, which is, you know, why we're all here. And two, we haven't wasted hours and years of our life digging through the weeds of endless fund managers and it has all that effort has been uh, has been useful well yeah i mean that's obviously great to hear and uh i guess in summary then i think what we're trying to say is that although the sort of depths we go to can sit can appear arduous to other people or outsiders uh the advice for clients is it's always worth sort of spending a little bit of time investing at the outset to make sure you understand the process to ensure that what you're getting is a is an outcome based on that reliable, repeatable, robust process, as opposed to luck, which is often what past short-term past performance can point to. Yeah, and, and yeah, and I think you, and you don't necessarily have to be a technical expert to do it, as you know, as you rightly said. You know, it's worth having that little bit of time, just hearing it out, because if it doesn't make sense to you, then you know, maybe maybe try someone else. Yeah, and I guess as well as you know, we fully expect our clients to be sort of asking us the similar questions that we ask the underlying managers, or uh, because we want to be challenged and made sure that we're sticking to our process as much as any other manager. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know, you, when relationship with an investment advisor is an interesting one. You know, there's a lot of trust there. You you know, you're doing something important on behalf of clients. You're you know, you're looking after their money, which is obviously you know, very important to people, and. You know, over time, markets will ebb and flow. There will be years when everything's going up and everyone's very happy. There'll be years when everything's going down, and it's and it's quite horrible and it's quite emotional. And but the thing is, the way the journey to a good outcome is to be a long-term investor. And the only way to do that is if you you do have confidence in your manager. And I think by understanding what they're doing and how they're approaching the world, it's a really great way to help build confidence. Right. You know, it certainly is what helps when when something horrible happens in markets and we're looking at the portfolio and saying, you know, is everything there as it should be? Do we need to make any changes? The, the understanding we have of our underlying fund manager certainly gives us confidence to, to stick with them through volatility. And I, I think the same is true. Uh, and that's what, as you rightly said, we want to build with our clients because the more they understand how we're approaching the world, hopefully the more confidence that gives them that actually when chance throws markets up, down, left, right, you know, God knows what happens, Russia invades Ukraine, whatever happens next, um, actually you've got a solid quality you've got good assets you've got a good process and in the long run yeah it gives some confidence in the the, the, outcome. the right outcome is going to be derived in yeah. the in the in the fullness of time brilliant well thank you bob and thank you everyone for joining us today if you haven't already i encourage you to take a look at bob's article on the website stand and deliver and if you want to discuss it further please feel free to give uh, either myself bob or the rest of the team a call and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again soon thank you bob thanks sam